Well, good morning, everybody. Oh, so good to see you all. I was just creepily staring at you while you were all watching this video. That's not awkward, is it? At least I'm not staring at you while you sleep, as far as you know. Uh, welcome to 2021. Welcome to Grace Now. It's a real joy to have you with us. If you're joining us online as well, good morning or good afternoon. We're really, really glad that you tuned in as well. Thanks for being with us. I'm really excited about 2021. I am like, I, I was driving in this morning and I was talking to the Lord and I don't know if it's just because I hang out with the Lord a lot, but I am a relentless optimist. Like I am constantly expecting God's good all of the time. And I'm excited to see what the Lord's gonna do in our midst in 2021. Um, I'm filled with expectation, I'm filled with joy. I hope that's contagious to you this morning. If you came in needing encouragement, I just hope being in our worship this morning was just glorious, wasn't it? Just declaring God's goodness and, and our gladness. And I'm so glad you're here. I'm really excited to share with you something the Lord's put on my heart from the Word. We're gonna do that in a moment. But before we do that, I, I just wanna stop and share some family news. And I'm afraid it's some sad family news uh, for us to share together. This is... Jeff's sister, Beth, and her husband, and Jeff's brother-in-law, Ronnie. I'm sad to share that Beth went to be with the Lord on January the 1st. Many of you will know that our, uh, our beloved senior pastor, Jeff and Becky, are out on family leave at the moment, caring for their family. And Beth sadly passed. She had been battling cancer, and uh, she passed away, like I said, on the 1st. And so I thought it would be great this morning if we could just send our love, if we could pray, ask for God's mercy and grace to be uh, with Ronnie and his kids, just as they've lost a wife and a, and a mother. And also just to pray for the extended dollar family, just as they're going through it. So could we do that this morning, just as the church? Could we lift up our pastors? Just pray with me. Father, I thank you this morning for the hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and Lord, your grace gives us so much. It, it reminds us, Lord, of the hope um, for Beth, who is with you, Lord, that her suffering has ended. And, and we thank you that she, her eternal nature is secure. Her destiny is secure. And at the same time, Lord, our hearts weep with those who weep. We grieve over the loss of a mother and a sister and a daughter and a wife. And Lord, we pray for the family, Lord, uh, for Ronnie and for their kids and for Jeff and his extended family and for uh, Byron as he's lost his daughter. Lord, we just ask for your grace to be upon all of that family right now, Lord, that your comfort, Lord, I thank you that you're called the comforter for a reason, that you would be with this family, that you would be um, in the midst of uh, their loss, Lord, and that your comfort would be known and would be steadfast. And so we bless them in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for praying with me. My, my encouragement is please remember the Dollar family at this time. Please keep them in your prayers. I spoke to Jeff yesterday. He wanted to make sure that I convey my love to you from him. He said, please greet the people on behalf of Becky and I. Please thank them for uh, their words of encouragement, for their prayers. They mean the world uh, to them. And so we, we bless you, Jeff and Becky. If you're watching at home, we love you. We miss you. And uh, we're praying for you. Well, like I said, it's a brand new year. It's filled with opportunity. It's filled with potential. And what I would love to share with you this morning is actually a continuation of what I started sharing with you a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away called 2020. Can you remember back that far? Uh, the, I say I started a series, but I really only got two weeks into it. So is it really a series if it's just two things? But here's what we did on our very first week. 
I introduced this concept that is familiar to all of us, like it's, it wasn't a new concept, that God owns everything. Very, very clear in Scripture, God owns everything, everything. You, me, the cattle on the hills, like the air that we breathe, everything is His. And yet even though everything is His, we discovered that like God wants partnership. Isn't that crazy that everything He owns is His, but the one thing He can't have is what we can have but choose to give Him? Think about that. He owns everything except us. We give us back to him and, and what he's desiring is partnership. And even though he could build his kingdom, even though he could fulfill his, his plan without us, he eagerly desires partnership and relationship and stewardship as the chosen methodology for building his kingdom. And he continually invites, that, invites us into it. And we looked in a couple of verses in Genesis all about how understanding our, our identity and our authority and who God is and what he's given us is pivotal. The second week together, we dove into this fascinating chapter, Luke 16, and we discovered that actually Jesus is intent on teaching us how to be trusted with much. Say much. It would be great if 2021 was a year of much, right? Because it's God's heart that we would be people that could be trusted with much, with true riches, which actually has nothing to do with money, has to do with eternal souls, a harvest of souls that when we get to heaven, people come up to us and go, you don't know me, but because of you, I'm here. And I just want to say thank you. Like that's true riches. I mean, phenomenal. We'd learn about how the Father is so passionate that we use unrighteous mammon and redeem it for the lost and we build his kingdom. Can I have an amen? So exciting, like what we can do with our money to expand the kingdom. And then we learn about how to be trusted with property of our own. And we learn all about this from a story Jesus told about an unrighteous steward, somebody who was not good at managing somebody else's property. And, and the lesson there is that we need to learn how to manage the property that the Lord's given us. And we talked all about the tithe, this beautiful, timeless principle that is the first step to being a faithful steward. And well, then COVID hit our household, so I can come and share the message that I want to share with you today. And then we had uh, our Christmas service, and then last week we had our online service. So it's been a while since we talked about it, but I'm back, and, and this is what I want to share this week. I left the second session, I ended with, all right, Alan, you've convinced me that tithing is good, that's 10%, but the other 90% is mine to do whatever I wish with, Right? And I was like, no, no, not so much, no. And what I want to talk to you about today is I want to study Scripture and I want you to understand that what you and I do with the remaining 90% is huge. It either attracts more or it removes or erodes what we already have. Now, I want to give you fair warning, right? I've talked through and taught through some really hard passages at Grace Center. And I love it. Like, you know me, I just love, love, love being able to teach. But I don't think there's been a more challenging passage to me personally, Alan Jones, than the passage we're going to read this morning. It's found in Matthew 25. We'll get there in a second. But I thought before we dive into Scripture, could we just pray and ask for the Holy Spirit's help? Like, we, we end up in error when we think we've got the goods to understand Scripture. Like if we come to scripture with like, I'm a smart person, like we're guaranteed we've entered deception. Like we need the Holy Spirit. Because I mean, you know, smarter people than you and I have missed the Lord because they leaned on their own understanding. 
All right, so Holy Spirit, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Scriptures. What a gift. And Lord, we don't want to be arrogant and think because we've got your word, we've got it. We need the Holy Spirit and the Holy Scriptures to make us wise. And this morning, Lord, as we open up your word this morning, would you from heaven fill us afresh with a passion for your word, with a, a humble heart, Lord, that seeks to be taught. And would you give us fresh manna from heaven, Lord? Would you open our eyes to see things we've never seen in such familiar passages? Would you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart that is receptive so that we can be people that look like their father? In Jesus' name we pray this, amen. We're gonna read from Matthew 25. That's the verses, you can look it up if you want to. That's where we're gonna go. But one of the things we teach our students on the school is whenever you study a text, you need to consider the context. If you just take a text out of its context, you're left with a con most often. And so in order to understand the text that we're going to read from in its proper like poof, impact, we need to consider where is it found. And so whenever you read the Gospels, really important to understand that the stories are there to teach you something. But in addition, the way the stories are linked together, there's another story that they tell by the, the sequence of them. Does that make sense? So we're going to read a passage. There's a ton of material in it. But knowing where the passage sits on either side, there's another story being told. So here's the shortcut. Matthew 25 is what we're going to read today. Matthew 24, the preceding chapter is, drumroll please, all about the end of the world. The disciples come to Jesus and be like, hey, tell us when this is going to happen. What are the signs of the end of the age? And so Jesus just starts telling them. And it's bleak, right? It's pretty grim. Like you're just reading Matthew 24, like, please get to something happy. You get to Matthew 25. And the first 13 verses of Matthew 25 is the story of the five wise and the five foolish virgins. Remember that story? A story in its own right all about stewardship, but not the one we're going to look for. That story is all about the return of the Lord. Then you get to this story, which we'll read in a second. As soon as this finishes, verse 29 picks up the Lord judging the nations. Remember the sheep and the goat. So when we read this story, and what I'm going to read to you is a parable. It's so practical that you could implement the stuff I'm going to teach this afternoon. And that's great. The Lord is speaking to us at two levels. One, the here and now. But because this verse, this story is set within this epoch of the end times, this world ending and the new world beginning, it has eternal consequences. Does that make sense? So I'm speaking practically today and I'm speaking not just globally, galactically as well, right? So what I'm talking about today is today and eternity. You all with me? Don't you just get excited that the word of God will teach us not only now, but for eternal things? Ah, oh, what a good God. Okay, so Matthew 25. Um, I'm going to read this story and I'm also going to illustrate it for you because I just like illustrating things. So here we go. Matthew 25, verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. Right away, we already know this story is about stewardship. Really wealthy man brings his servant and says, I'm going away, here's some of my property, manage it for me while I'm gone. Effectively, that's what a steward does. To one, he gave five talents. To another, two. And to another, one. To each according to his ability. And then he went away. And he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. 
So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of these servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who had also had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers at my coming. I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has will be given more and he, who will, and, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Told you it was sobering. Right? And the thing is, like we've all read this passage before. We've all heard it. If we've been in church long enough, we know it's the parable of talents. We're like, yeah, like, the punchline's gone. We know how it goes. But I want to pause for a second, and I want us to consider a couple of things, especially in light of the topic of stewardship. Now, this passage, parable, known as the parable of talents. It's worth knowing that talents have nothing to do with tap dancing, flute playing, baking. It's not talking about skills. A talent was a measure of weight, used as a Roman measure of weight for silver or for gold. And what we're talking about here are phenomenally large amounts of money. One talent was the equivalent of the, the earnings a laborer would make over 32 years. All right, so the, the guy's coming and saying, hey, servant number one, here's one talent, 32 years worth of wages. Right, that suddenly puts things in perspective. And of course, the people who got two and the people who got five, like you're like, these are huge amounts of money. Also worth noting, these weren't gifts. It wasn't like, I'm feeling generous, here you go. It was his, and he was not only expecting it back, but he was expecting it back with a profit. He was, he was expecting some investment. Second thing that you probably noticed when, when I read this to you is not everyone was trusted with the same amount. Have you ever read that and just thought, well, that's not very fair? Like, like we think the kingdom of God is based on fairness. Like I have a friend who was praying one day and about a situation in his life that wasn't fair and he said to the Lord, he said, Lord, it's just not fair. And the Lord's like, oh, you want fair? And he's like, I want fair. And the Lord says, then go to hell. Because hell is what's fair for us. The kingdom isn't built upon fairness. It's built upon, you don't want fair, you want favor, right? You want grace, you want goodness, you want kindness. The trouble is we only want favor when we're the ones that are favored. 
Like, like you read that story and go like, well, I don't want to be a one-talent person. Are you kidding me? You don't want 32 years' worth of money given to you? Oh, well, when you put it like that, right? So, like, not everyone was trusted with the same, but it is worth asking why. Why was that? Well, Jesus gave the reason for this in the parable. Verse 15, he said, each was given according to their ability. That means their previous track record dictated their current supply. Now let me pause right there and let that sink in because that may well be one of the most sobering things I say today among a number of sobering things that I say today, just fair warning. That could mean that the reason you and I have not been given more yet is because God knows we haven't learned to manage it yet. What if God in his mercy and his wisdom as a good steward is not pouring out the more that we're asking because we haven't actually demonstrated a track record of being able to handle more. Just slide over here. (laughs) A more encouraging way to think about that is to understand that what you have today, the 3rd of January 2021, is absolutely within your ability to handle. Now, Alan, why is that encouraging? If you're sitting here going, Lord, I don't know how I make it through the month of January. The Lord does because he's trusted you with what you have. And if you partner with him, he will see to it that you make it through January. And not just by the skin of your teeth, but with more than enough, as we'll see in a second. But it also means if you're just like, Lord, I feel a little bit overwhelmed because I've got too much. Right? Some of us are like, please, God, let that be me. (laughs) But if we're like, Lord, I don't even know how to handle this. No, you really do. Because you don't have more than what God thinks you're able to handle. Okay? And here's the beautiful thing is if you're wishing for more, steward what you have now and God says increase will come. Number three. Now, I'll, this is the bit that just slapped me as I read this. Like it, this was a wake-up call that was sobering to me, to to the point where I stopped my preparation. I went through to AJ and said, babe, we need to rethink about what we're doing. Look at this. The goal was growth, not maintenance. Now, buckle up, because this redefined what what stewardship meant for me. How many of you read the one talent thing and think, at least the guy didn't screw up and still had it to give back to the Lord? Just me? (laughs) Sometimes like the best we can hope for is not to screw up. That's not a biblical perspective. That's the thing that got him reamed out, right? So the biblical perspective was growth was expected, not maintenance. Here's where I got tripped up. I thought, like if you know my story, which I've shared before, AJ and I managed to get ourselves in horrendous debt. And I was the goodness of God plus the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University, plus patience, plus favor, plus grace and kindness, we got out of debt. And so since we've been out of debt, I'm thinking, I'm a good steward because I've learned to live on a budget, not go into debt, and pay off debt. Like, AKA, I'm a good steward. Not according to the Bible, I'm not. I'm maintaining I am not growing. I'm like, this is, so, this is the bit that got me to say, AJ, babe, we need to rethink about things. See, this story illustrates that the ruler's kingdom was to be expanded by the provision he gave his servants. Let me say that again. This parable is teaching us that the ruler's kingdom 
was to be expanded by the provisions he gave his servants, a.k.a. God's kingdom that he started with the precious investment of his son's blood is to be expanded through the resources that are given to his servants, a.k.a. us. Listen, as a Bible teacher, I take my job very, very seriously. I would be in biblical error if I was to try and make this parable all about money, which I'm not. I would equally be in error if I spiritualized the whole thing and told you that this parable was all about souls. It's not. This parable is about both money and souls. This parable is about God giving us something so that we can resource his kingdom. Remember what we learned in the very first week about creation. Remember we read the Genesis account, Genesis 1 verse 28. What's his first command? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. No, no, just like steward it and just prevent from any weirds growing up. No, multiplication is what God wants to do. God wants to grow you in abundance so that as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8, that you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. I grew up in a culture that taught me, a church culture that taught me that my needs weren't that important. Right? And so the best you could ask God for was to barely make your needs met. But actually his kingdom was super important. And so it was like, ah, but what actually God is saying, no, I want to give you so that you have everything you need. Like your needs aren't to be the thing that you're like, ah, stressed about. The thing that you're petitioning the Lord about is, Lord, what do I do with the overflow? Who do I share the overflow with? Because it says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things shall be added to you. Like, I grew up with the reverse, like, ah, all these things I need. I, it never dawned on me that God would add them to me if I just managed his kingdom. Does that make sense? You see, like, see how it's backwards? How are we doing? Are we okay? Number four. Isn't it interesting that the first and the second service both received the same reward? Now, you might be thinking, no, they didn't, Alan. Like the first one ended up with 10. The second one only ended up with four. I mean, like technically, yeah, they doubled. But like the, the first one ended up with way more. In fact, if you count what he got at the end, he ended up with 11. Like, you know, twice as much as the second one. He, he got twice as much reward. And I say, no, no, you missed the point. That wasn't the reward. The reward was hearing the master say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. That was the first part of the reward. The second part of the reward was, I will now set you over much. And the third part was, enter into the joy of your master. The first two, they got the commendation from the Lord. They got an abundance and they got to enter into the joy of the master. While the third one got none of them. See, when we start thinking about stewardship, one of the biggest areas that will trip us up is we use the wrong measuring stick. We measure amount, God measures faithfulness. Huh? So we, we're looking at that guy, he's got 11 and I only produced four. You're like, God, he's not looking at the amount, he is looking at your faithfulness. Remember the beautiful story about Jesus sitting outside the temple one day and watching what people were giving into the offering? Remember that? Fascinating, isn't it? Jesus watches what we put into the offering. 
And we know it's not based on amount because he said to the disciples, he nudged them and said, hey, do you see that woman there, that widow? I tell you the truth, she gave more than all of the other people. And, and the disciples were like, are you looking at the same offering box as we are? Because she put in two widow mites. AJ, when last time she was in Israel, picked up a, a necklace with a widow's mite on it. It's tiny. And she, that's what she put in. And the Lord said, well, she gave all she had. Everybody else gave out of their overflow. See, it's faithfulness, not amount, that determines our reward. And then my, my final observation, but not to lull you, we're not done. Right? My final observation of this slide is that the implications of poor stewardship are sobering. Both here on earth and later in eternity. Because remember, based on where the story is, we know that this has got intergalactic, interdimensional, eternal ramifications. Poor stewards in this life don't get entrusted with more here on earth. That sucks. Like it really does. Poor stewards don't get to experience the joy of having more than enough. Poor stewards don't get the joy of being able to bless and freely give and generously sow into things that make the Lord's heart come alive. And now here's the thing, so that's bad here on earth, but eternally, while being a poor steward will not keep you from heaven, because you don't get into heaven depending on how much you've given or, or your obedience, you get into heaven based on the finished work of Jesus on the cross. All right, so that's great. Our, our, our entrance to heaven is being paid for already. It's secure because of our trust and our faith in Jesus' perfect sacrifice for us. However, Scripture repeatedly makes reference to the rewards that are available to us in heaven, right? Not entrance to heaven, that's not the reward, but there are rewards in heaven that we will miss out on if we are not good stewards and obedient servants. So that's why I say this message has got something for this afternoon and it's got something for what's coming. Now, before I move on, I want to point out something. No matter whether we are a servant one, servant two, or servant three, and by the way, I'd really caution you against trying to work out which one you are, right? because it's the Lord who determines that, not us. Can you imagine that? Well, Lord, I object. Do you? Do you think this is a good time to bring that up? No, as you were, go on. Uh, the problem with whenever we do self-evaluation is there's a problem that we can sin in self-reflection. Alan, what do you mean? Well, let's say we're number one. Let's say we take stock of our life, we think about the steward that we are, we think about what we've been given, we think about what we've given to the Lord, we think about, you know, we look at, we're coming up to tax return time, we're looking at our giving statement, and maybe we're proud of what we've given. See, the trouble is with that is we can end up in error thinking it was all us. But it wasn't all us. I mean, sure, we exercise faithfulness, but some of it was God's just blessing on our life. In some cases we may have unwittingly benefited because somebody else mismanaged and God saw fit to give us their portion. And so our increase didn't come because of our obedience, it became the lack of theirs. And then we're taking credit for it. Number two, if we're not careful, we can look at number one and think, well, look at Mr. Fancy Pants there. Look at Mr. Like, 10 Talent Fancy Pants over there. And forget that a 10-talent person was just a five-talent person who managed their five talents really, really well. See, comparison is the death knell of contentment. You can't be a good steward without contentment. And then 
Oh God, I'm so sorry. I'm just telling you. The problem with being a truth teller is sometimes people don't want to hear the truth. Right? Thankfully, that's not high. <laughs> it's not a high value for me. So here's the truth. Number three, if we're number three, and by the way, I've been number three, we've got to be really, really careful that if it's dawned upon us that, Lord, I actually think I'm in position number three, we've got to learn from our context instead of blaming our context. What do you mean? There is a danger that it becomes way more comfortable for us to become a victim than it is for us to develop wisdom. You only develop wisdom by recognizing the thorn that pricked you came from the bush that you previously planted. Right? Otherwise, you're just like, I'm such a victim. Like all these bushes keep attacking me. The bushes that you keep planting and watering. Right? <laughs> oh, well, you know, you're mean. You're, you know, like, way to kick a guy. And say, I'm trying to help you. I, I, I'll throw this in now. I know I talked about tithing last time, but I remember one of the last times I was teaching at Grace Center on tithing, I woke up and it was a Sunday morning. I was coming to speak and as I woke up, I heard an audible voice as I came out of my dream say, stop asking me to rebuke a devourer you keep feeding. There you go. Welcome to 2021. Free <laughs> gifts like that. My point is if we're number three, resist the temptation to blame number one and blame number two instead of taking responsibility. Remember, maturity does not come with age, but it starts with personal responsibility. Now, here's the wonderful news. No matter what kind of steward you've been up to this point in life, a one talent, a two talent, a five talent steward, you are not stuck in that category. You can move up. If you will start being faithful with what you currently have, you can be sure that more will be entrusted to you. Of course, if we want to avoid the fate of the one talent person, it's really worth us stopping and asking what went wrong. The answer, of course, is found in the text. Let's read it. This is Matthew chapter 25, verse 24 and 25. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you'd not sown and gathering where you'd not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. The root issue in how the one talent person lived was that he had a fear-based approach to the Lord. He was frightened of the Lord. He was frightened of the responsibility placed upon him. And look what that fear produced, a faulty view of the Lord. He said, I knew you to be a hard man. See, the Lord is not a hard man. He is kind and he's merciful and he's patient and he's loving and he's understanding and he's generous. But here's the thing, if we don't deal with our fear, it will continue to produce lies that distort our view of him and damage our life. You with me? So that's the first problem. The first problem was he was scared of God. He, was, he had fear. He entertained fear. But not only did he see God as hard, but he also accused him of theft. Look at what he said. He said, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you've not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. Now, how can the person, like this parable is all about the Lord, right? Spoiler, it's about the Lord in case you haven't got that. How can the Lord who owns everything be accused of stealing from things he hadn't planted when it's all his to begin with? 
This guy was accusing the master of being stingy and selfish. Conveniently forgetting that the same guy he's accusing of being stingy just gave him 32 years worth of wages in one lump sum. But that's what fear will do to you. It will lie to you about who God is and what God's like. A wrong view of God will lead you to a wrong way of living. It will greatly affect your approach to the stewardship that God has given you. Now, I'm not talking about you in what I say next, but I am talking to you in what I say next. So smile at me as I give you a spiritual root canal. For many people, their inability to handle money well stems from a belief that God is not looking out for their best interests. Now, it's so subtle. It's not a true-false statement. It's God looking out for your best interests. It's not a mental ascent. It's the way you live your life. All beliefs produce behaviors. Okay? So what that means is, if we have that mindset, we believe that if I tithe and if I give, if I live as God has asked me to, then I won't either have anything left or I won't have as much left. And in an effort to ensure self-preservation, they try to do their thing their way. And ironically, it's in defiance to how they're made. Remember the divine flow we talked about in week one? Remember we looked at Genesis and we realized the way we're made, like we're made in God's image. Um, We're built to reign. The very first thing that God did after he created everybody was handed over rulership of the whole earth. Talk about stewardship. Hey, Adam and Eve, welcome to planet earth. Uh, Here's your orientation. Uh, And go for it. Like It's all yours, right? They were built to reign. And the expectation was, as we understand our identity, as we live out of our authority, fruitfulness will flow. Now, the one talent person became a zero talent person because he abdicated that which was his to steward. AKA, he stopped reigning. When you and I abdicate what is ours to manage, we end up suffering loss and we don't see the fruitfulness and abundance which is ours by design. Some of you are like, I'm going to wait before I nod or say amen on that because that has some ramifications. It does. This whole thing has a ton of ramifications. Like, try preparing it. Like, I, I had to sit and I said, AJ, babe, we need to, 2021, we need to sit down. We need to reprioritize what we do with our finances. Now, you know our story. Like, we're tithers and givers and, you know, love all that stuff. But we're just thinking, Lord, in light of this, are there areas that we're abdicating our, our rulership that you've given us because for a variety of reasons, oh, it's too hard and it's not that much money and, oh, you know, we could do it later or I'm not good at math. Any of the variety of reasons while opposing the will of God in our life. If you're praying for more but are not stewarding what you have, you're nullifying your prayers. It's not like God going, oh, I'd love to, but I can't. He literally can't because you're not creating space for blessing to be poured out. That's the other verse we looked at in Genesis. There was no rain because the Lord had not sent rain from heaven and there was no one to work the ground. Work the ground of your faithfulness and see what God will do. Now, and I am finishing, right? For those of you who are like, okay, it sounds like he's wrapping up. I am. 
It's my 14th slide. I'm kidding. This is my penultimate slide. This slide and then a black screen and we're done. (laughs) We come now to the main lesson in this whole text where it says, for to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Now, how many of you read that and think that's unfair? Like, or or, or forget the Bible for a second. Please don't quote me on that. (laughs) Think about in your own life, how many of you have had a quiet, grumbling contemplation where you look at somebody else who's more blessed than you and think, and you hear a testament of how they just got blessed and you're like, well, bully for you. Like, why are they getting more blessed than me? It's this principle of work. For everyone who has more will be given. Hey, how about giving something to the people who have none? No, 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 I'm going to take from what they do have and take away. That does not seem very kind. In fact, it seems harsh. But it can't be harsh because God's not harsh. He's generous. So how do you explain the paradox? You explain the paradox by understanding God is a good steward too. See, God wants to see that his son's sacrifice is invested well. He wants to resource his kingdom and maximize the investment of what he sowed, which was his one and only begotten son. Therefore, when we steward the resources that God has given us well to expand his kingdom, he adds more because he knows we are a good investment, so to speak. But conversely, when we refuse to steward well, even what we do have is taken away so that it can be managed better. Now, it's sobering, but it's the way of the kingdom. If you hear nothing else, hear this. We are all stewards. The question is whether we're good ones or poor ones. Like, I'm not preaching this so that you decide to sign up for Stewardship 101. That happened a long time ago. As soon as you gave your life to Christ, you were a steward, an ambassador, a reflection of the kingdom of heaven, charged with responsibility to grow the kingdom of God. And so the question before us is, as we step into 2021, are we going to be good stewards or poor ones? Because no matter what we were in 2020, we're invited to grow into stewardship and thus abundance. And so my challenge to you today is, what kind of steward do you want to be? Are you gonna be a steward that will demonstrate by your living that you are capable and trustworthy to steward more? Are you going to, or are you going to abdicate what you do have because of fear? Even noble sounding fear. Oh, but what if I do it wrong? Oh, it sounds noble, but it's just fear bathed in self-pity, masquerading as pretend wisdom, like it's horrible. Either way, it's our choice. Now, next week, God willing, I want to talk about the single biggest change that you and I can make to ensure that we grow as good stewards. And I'll give you a hint, it has nothing to do with tithing. 